Good morning. Welcome to North Church. We're so glad you're here with us today. In a moment, the band's going to lead us in a few songs, followed by an important and powerful message from one of our North Church Bible teachers that'll inspire us to go deeper in our walk with God. You can expect our service to last for about an hour. If you have any questions or would like to learn more about our church, visit us online at northchurch.net. You can scroll to the bottom of the page, click on e-bulletin, and there you'll find all the upcoming events and other information about our church. After service, if you have any questions or would like to learn more about what's going on here at the church, visit us in the lobby at the Information Center. There, a volunteer would love to answer any questions and help you find your next steps here at the church. Don't forget to check us out at the coffee bar. There, you can get an iced espresso, Italian soda, or even a hot drink if you'd like. There's donuts and pastries for the kids, and it's all run off of your generosity. We believe in connecting people into healthy and growing relationships. If you're new here, or this is your first time, we'd like to say welcome and invite you to a meeting called First Connect right after service. There you can talk to one of our pastors and learn more about the heart of our church and how you can get better connected. We are so blessed here at North Church to have so many people giving their time and energy to volunteer in every ministry throughout our church. Kids ministry, coffee bar, Rooted, worship team, usher greeter team, serve Spokane. There's too many to list them all, but I just want to say thank you so much for giving of yourself and inspiring people to say yes to God. We have an amazing and vibrant kids ministry going on here at North Church. I love sending my kids down there because I know they're being taught about Jesus and the Bible. At the beginning of each month, there's a parent cue card that lines out the curriculum and lessons that our kids are being taught each week. This provides you the tools that you need as a parent to be the main discipler in your kid's life. When you pick your kids up today, don't forget to grab a parent cue card. After service, if you are in need of prayer, please come forward. A member of our prayer team would love to pray with you. Also, don't forget to check into North Church on Facebook. Every three check-ins provides an item for a welcome basket for refugee families coming into Spokane. Those are all the announcements we have for you. Would you please stand? We're about to sing. Kingdom forever. 
Hey, well, good morning. Welcome to North Church. Glad that you are here. Uh, one thing we really value here is people being in healthy and in growing relationships. So if you are new, new here, or maybe you just have not been connected and been coming for a little bit, I would love to meet you directly after this service underneath this monitor over here for our first Connect meeting. It's just one or two minutes. Love to uh, know who you are and just... Uh, get you to uh, some information on how you could get better connected. But why don't you go ahead right now, turn and connect and welcome the people around you this morning. It's a big world out there, not hundreds, not thousands, 
billions of lives living and breathing on this earth right now. 2.5 billion have never had a chance to hear about Jesus. 70,000 of them die each day without the gospel. Yet, on average, the church spends less than 1% toward reaching the unreached. Do we care? Does this break our hearts? Or does it unite us, motivate us to take action? will take the stand. We won't stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ. With boldness, we will obey the commission to go no matter how distant or different. We will build bridges until every village, community, and city hears and knows the choice to follow Christ is theirs. We have the talent, resources, people, the passion, and we will not stop until all have heard the love of Christ for them. And on this day we unite, the International Day for the Unreached. With all my heart. I don't know about you, but I've never really taken much thought to something like this. And on this, this day, the International Day of the Unreached, uh, that there's 2.5 billion people in the world that have never heard uh, about Jesus. And I've never personally sat down and really thought about that. I mean, I know that there are many people out in the world who are, are unreached, but I've never really thought and grasped the amount uh, of people in our world. And most of these people around our world are in places that are hostile against Christians. So these are people who would never hear the name of Jesus. And so I, I just think it's a great time as a church that, that Jesus told us that we should go into all nations baptizing people in the name, and we should be making disciples. We should be, I mean, that is something that the church should do. So here's a day that um, we get to unite around this and go, God, what can we do? Here, a great action step for, for this is, one, we should all be praying. We should all be praying for the parts of the world that are unreached and the, and the two and a half billion people who have never heard uh, about Jesus. Uh, we can all be praying, but you know, it's just a great thing to do just to ask yourself too uh, and ask God, God, what, what part do I play? What, what could I do to help the church uh, to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave the church to reach those people in all nations? So, hey, why don't we just right now, let's just pray for those people. Can we do that? Let's just take a moment just to pray for the billions of people. It's kind of hard to grasp, like how do we pray for a billion people? But I believe that we serve a really big God. And when we pray little prayers, uh, that doesn't give our God credit that he is due because we serve a big God who wants to do big things in our world so we can pray big, bold prayers and believe God that he is good and that he can fulfill and answer that. So let's pray right now for those people. Can we do that? God, we just come before you right now. Lord, and just thinking about that, God, my heart breaks for the, the billions of people around this world. God, we pray for those people right now, Jesus. God, we pray that you would soften the heart of those people in unreached areas who have never heard about you. God, that you would prepare their heart and you'd prepare their soul for you, Jesus. God, and we pray for those Christian workers in the world right now that are trying to reach those places. God, we pray that you would give them blessing and favor, God. Lord, we pray for those areas of, that are, have intense hostility. 
Lord, we pray that, that barriers and walls would be broken down, that those Christian workers and organizations and missions, Lord, could... Uh, uh, missionaries could go in and reach those people and bring Jesus and the gospel to the world. God, we pray that, that um, out of these two and a half billion people, or we pray that every single one would have the opportunity to respond to your name, Jesus. God, we don't want to see one more person pass in the world that, that would never even have the opportunity to say yes to you that would be se separated from you for eternity, Lord. God, we pray, and we know that you care about these people. God, we pray for the leaders of these countries and the, and, the, and, the, and the leaders of these various areas, God, that you would soften their heart to allow these people to come in, these Christian workers and missionaries to come in and reach those people. God, we want to be a church that is not just people who, who uh, hear about something and then it just passes through one ear and out the other. God, but we want to be a church who is actively involved in the unreached people of this world. God, show us as individuals how we can do that. God, and we pray that these two and a half billion people, God, that they would be reached and souls would be won for your kingdom. God, we thank you for the various and many organizations like Partners International who is involved in this, Lord. God, we pray that you bring blessing and favor in those. Bring opportunity and open doors for more and more Christian workers to go in and reach these people. God, we thank you for that, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you stand with me? We're going to continue to sing together this morning. Let's do that.
Why don't you go ahead and take a seat? We're going to take communion together as a church. And, and I believe this is really important because, one, it's a, it's a tradition that Christians have done for thousands of years. But also it's a, it's a very intentional response to the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. And it can be really easy to kind of go through life and just kind of take for granted the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us by dying on the cross and so here is a time that we get to give thanks for God for that and to remember the sacrifice that he paid that we could be in a right relationship with him that our sins could be forgiven and that we can be eternally with Jesus forever so here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in chapter 11 it says that um, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
So this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. That we, we don't just do communion because it's a fancy tradition. We do communion because it's a very intentional response to the fact that Jesus died for us, paid for our sins, and that here's a time that we get to remember that and to give thanks to that. Where we, we can uh, turn our heart to the right spot, ask for forgiveness, fix our eyes on him, and just say, thank you, God, for what you have done for me, how good you are. So we're going to continue to worship, and just in your own time, you can come forward and take communion, and then I'll be back up to close us out. So let's continue to worship, and we'll take communion together.
God, we just give you thanks this morning, Lord. God, thank you for the sacrifice that you paid for us, Lord. God, we thank you and remember that this morning. I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our life. How dearly you love us that you would do something as extraordinary as that for us, God. We thank you for that. We pray this in your name. Let's just take the next few minutes and continue just to thank God for his goodness, his faithfulness. Continue to thank him for that sacrifice that he paid. Just in our in your own words, in your own heart, in your own mind, just for the next minute or two. Let's just do that now. we love you and we thank you, Lord. Thank you on this day, God. We remember the sacrifice that you paid. Amen. Amen. Hey, in just a moment, we are going to receive our tithes and offerings. Uh, So if you have a gift, you can prepare that. If you are new here, please don't feel any pressure to give whatsoever. We are just glad that you are our guest this morning. Um, but I, I just want to thank the, the many people who do give and your generosity. Um, uh, it, it helps us further the mission and the vision of our church. And one aspect of that is reaching those unreached people. So with, with a portion of the ties that we get, we are always committed to be a part of uh, uh, reaching those unreached people, and as well as locally furthering the vision and the mission Uh, that God has placed on our church locally as well. So I just want to thank you. Your gifts do make a difference, and uh, uh, they're very valuable uh, in what we do here. So thank you for that. So ushers, you can come forward. Um, And Scott's going to come out in just one moment to kick us off with this brand new series on the Ten Commandments. And before we do that, we got just a quick video we can watch as we give.
Well, good morning. Welcome to our new series in the Ten Commandments. Nothing like a mild, gentle, inspiring kind of introduction, right? Wow. That just jumps up and hits you right in the face. And how many of you, if you're honest, were like, oh, and it said don't commit adultery. What is that little picture going to look like? Were you worried about that? It made me really nervous. But it worked out okay. One of the things I love uh, about that video is I think that like the intensity and the in-your-face nature of that music um, I actually think it kind of captures the way so many people think about the Ten Commandments. That, uh, that it's just heavy and intense and in your face and there's like this burden to it and we've got to get it right and God's probably angry with me already and the music seems to reflect that and oh my gosh. And it's, it's, that's the way it is, right? So, I mean, so many people, when they think about the Ten Commandments, um, they think of them like, perhaps as like, hey, these ten things represent the prerequisites for getting into heaven. Like if I'm going to have any prayer, I got to go 10 for 10 on these things because if I miss just one, it's all over for eternity. And that's a heavy weight to bear. It's a heavy burden, right? Um, There's this sense that, man, these are the 10 things that I got to do and get right in order for God to approve of me. And if I miss on any one of the 10, that's it. I'm out. I'm no longer one of God's favorites. I'm not even one of his tolerables. I'm just out there in outer darkness someplace. And like, if God is in fact going to strike me down dead for anything, it's going to be for one of those 10 things that were just up on the screen. And the music kind of captures all of that. And I don't know about you, maybe that's when you hear the phrase, the Ten Commandments. And if you heard, ooh, we're doing a a summer series in the Ten Commandments and your heart just sank. (laughs) Because like, oh, because you feel that way. Can I just say, um, in the most loving way possible, you are absolutely wrong about the Ten Commandments. And you should never be so happy to be so absolutely wrong as you are this morning. It's actually great news. It's why we're not calling this series the Ten Ways That You Have Already Disappointed God. (laughs) We're not calling it Get Your Act Together and Behave This Way. We're calling it The Good Life. We're calling this series around the Ten Commandments, the good life. And the majority of our time this morning is going to be kind of introducing the idea of the Ten Commandments as God's pathway towards the good life that way. In subsequent weeks, we'll go commandment by commandment by commandment, and we'll touch, uh, we'll touch base on all of them. But this morning, uh, for the most part, we're taking kind of a broader approach and getting the bigger picture that way. You see, the Ten Commandments are not contrary to what many people have heard and feel, they're not just kind of the summary condensed version of God's rule book. They're not just the 10 most important rules that you're supposed to follow. Uh, They're not just a super cool collection of the moral mandates and the things that we should feel guilty about when we violate them and everything else that way. They're actually, when we come to understand them, uh, they're an extension of God's grace to us. Because they're this very loving, very practical, very real-life set of instructions that God gives to his people in order to produce a society that they'd want to live in, a society that's good, that's healthy, that's just, that's peaceful, that's compassionate, that's all of those sorts of things. That's, that's actually the kind of society that God would love for us to live in. He would like for us to be able, corporately as a church community, but like even more broadly than that, in our city and in our state and in our nation, to live in a world that is marked by goodness, a good life. 
I read a statistic this week um, that was interesting, and it really rang true to me in my own experience, and it was this. It said that 97% of Americans really believe that the Ten Commandments are important. And that felt about right to me. And then it said that, 90, that 97% of Americans, or I'm sorry, 97% think that the Ten Commandments are important. Only 5% of Americans can even name three of them. Unfortunately, that rang a little bit right also. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I thought, if, if it's okay, I'd like to try a super scientific experiment uh, and study here this morning. So by show of hands, who here believes that the Ten Commandments are, in fact, important? Okay, we are a group of typical average Americans, about 97% of us, excellent. And now for the second part of it, and this is the important part, Ten Commandments, you've got ten fingers. How many of the Ten Commandments do you think that you could name? And I'm just going to say I believe in you, not the least of which is because we just put them all up on the screen for you to look at. <laughs> so out of ten, with your fingers showing, how many do you think you could name? We average 8.2. We are a collection of above-average Americans. Give yourselves a round of applause. Uh, teaching team is obviously doing a great job here at the church, and well done as part of the learning team as well. It looks like we're all in this together. Can you imagine with me for a moment a society that is as good as it could be Socially, politically, spiritually, civically, in every way a society that is just as good as it can be. This would be the kind of world where men and women and children could go wherever they wanted to go, walk around any part of the town, any time, day or night, and never fear for any reason, right? It would be, uh, it would be the kind of place where uh, police departments and armies were just unnecessary. We, we would have no need for them. Can you imagine a culture and a society where marriages weren't just surviving, but they were thriving, and they were healthy, and they were whole, and that in part as a result of that, families were this fundamentally strong unit that built strong identities and healthy senses of self amongst the kids, and, and family relationships were vibrant and wonderful. Can you imagine in this society that that human life would be protected, it would be honored, it would be valued, and it would be cherished at every level. A society that was in unity, a society that was at peace, a society that has strength and compassion and grace and all of those things. It would be a good society. It would be, I mean, it would be just like Spokane with a few tweaks, <laughs> right? Wouldn't you like to live in a society like that? Wouldn't you like to live in that society? Well, of course you would. And the fact is that it's God's heart for you to be able to live in a world and in a society in a culture like that as well. Then the next question becomes, then, well, if, how, how would you create and produce a society like that? What, what on earth would bring that about? How could, you, how could you get from maybe society where we see it to a society like that that's living a good life together? 
Well, it would require all of the individuals in that society, right, to abide by a code, by a code of conduct which brought out all the very best that's possible in humanity, and while at the same time it kind of protected us against the portions of humanity that tend to come out that are, you know, are, are, are natural bent towards selfishness and, and personal gain and personal profit. You'd need a code of conduct, again, that, that celebrated and made possible all the best parts of humanity and protected us against all of the worst. And guess what? The Ten Commandments are that code, are that code of conduct designed by God himself to make possible this good life, this good society, this good world that he desires for all of us to live in. The recipe for a good world is all in there in the Ten Commandments. And like any good recipe, the outcome is dependent on how closely we follow it, right? Absolutely. So we're going to dive into the text of the Ten Commandments. If you're uh, if you're a biblical scholar, you already know that it's in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. That's where we find these Ten Commandments together. And just for a little context, long before God gave the Ten Commandments, he called a guy by the name of Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And that nation is going to be my people. And scripture tells us that Abraham believed God in that and that Abraham's belief, his faith in God, that God was telling the truth, that God credited that towards him as righteousness, and he began to grow Abraham and Abraham's descendants into a great nation. I, Abraham has, had a son Isaac, Isaac had a son Jacob, Jacob had a bunch of sons, one of whom was Joseph, and, and following some stuff with Joseph, Abraham's whole family ended up kind of down in Egypt. Initially, they were moving away from a famine, but they ended up staying down there long-term, really long-term, and eventually got absorbed into the Egyptian culture as slaves, where they served as slaves for some 400 years. So this is a, a group of people, a nation that has grown, right, to vast numbers, and their identity is, we're the chosen people of God. We're the people whom God chose. He called out by name and said, you're my people, and I will be your God. And for the better part of half of a millennium, right, that was their identity, 400 years of which was spent in slavery. And then along comes Moses and tells the Pharaoh, you know, let my people go, and there's that whole story, and, they, and uh, the Israelites flee through the Red Sea, and they're delivered from Egypt. And it's right on the heels of that deliverance from being slaves in the land of Egypt that we come across this passage in Exodus 20. Here's this nation full of people who are for 400 years, they weren't worried about how do we run our society. They were slaves trying to get through the day every day. Now there's a bunch of them and they're, and they're on their own and, and it's time for God to set up the structure for them of what this new society that they're going to be outside of the bondage of Egypt. And so here's, here's how this passage kicks off. It says, And the Lord God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. And before we go anywhere else, we've got we to understand a few things about the Ten Commandments generally and across the board. And they really come from right out of this passage right here. And the first one is this. The, the Ten Commandments carry with them the weight of the authority of God himself. I 
He says, and God spoke all these words. These words, these commands that are coming, these are not a great human invention. You know, Moses didn't just take a personal day and do a little mini retreat up into the mountains and, and start journaling and come up with this really great collection of 10 ideas. These begin and have their source and their root in God himself. These are his words. They carry his authority. So that whether Moses comes down the mountain and is, and is in power, or whether later on they have uh, judges and rulers, whether they have kings, or whether there are conquered people living in exile, none of that changes anything. These commands about how to live to produce a good life society bear the weight of God himself. They're not, uh, they're not dependent upon the people in power at all. And so there's a couple implications there. You see, part of what, what we understand when we, when we hear that God spoke these words and God spoke these things are this. It's that good and evil are not determined by human opinion. That this was not just, hey, Moses saw these things that way and so this is how the law came out. Good and evil are not defined by your opinion of them or my opinion of them or society's opinion of them, by a lawmaker's opinion of them, by a court's opinion of them. At the heart of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, at the heart of that is the God himself who says this is how things should be. And this de declaration of what is good and what is evil, it's not, just a, it's not just a random choice on God's part. But every distinction between good and evil flows out of the very character of God, out of who he is. It's not like, you know, they were asking God one day, hey, you know, on your salad, do you prefer ranch or honey mustard? And God went, uh, honey mustard. Oh, well, how about murder? You think it should be right or wrong? Uh, wrong. It's not just a random flippant decision. On, on the thou shalt not kill, that's not just because on that particular day God issued a ruling and we had to go with it. It's because there's something in the heart of God, something in his innate character about love and care for others and being good that says the, the killing of an innocent life is inherently wrong. And that's not just because of God's opinion, it's because of his character. And so it is across the board with all of the commandments that way. There's another thing that we need to understand as well where these commandments are concerned. And this one, I think, is crucially important. It's this. The Ten Commandments are directed to a people who have already been brought out of bondage into freedom. The place where they were stuck for 400 years that held them in bondage and slavery is something that's in their rearview mirror at this point. The Ten Commandments are not for them, how do you get out of bondage and into freedom? The Ten Commandments are, now that that's already happened, now that God has already graciously intervened and set you free, and now that you are free, live in this manner. And that's important, again, because we go back to that sense that we just innately get as people, that if these are God's, God's command, this is, this is probably the setting of the bar, and I've got to get over the bar of these commands, and then God will do something for me, right? I may be stuck in my life. I may be just stuck, and I can't get in. I may be in bondage. It could be bondage to an addiction, to habit patterns, to mindsets, but I just, I'm not getting ahead, and I'm just stuck, and I really want God to do something for me and to set me free. So you know what I'm going to do? To get him on my side, I'm just going to start obeying the commandments. Why on earth would God set me free if I didn't demonstrate 
my good heart and my intent to obey his commandments? And the answer to that question is because he loves you. He designed you to be free. He desires freedom for you. So whatever place of being stuck that you may be today, God doesn't require you to obey the Ten Commandments before he listens to your cry for help and for your deliverance from being stuck. He desires to set you free today. And I tell you that once you actually experience the incredible power of being set free from bondage to be delivered by God into freedom when you get there, when God says, hey, here's a way to live for more freedom, for more goodness, more in the direction that I have for you, the response becomes very easy. God gave his 10 commandments to people who were already free. You will, obeying the commandment does not get you into heaven. What obeying the commandments does, it, it actually allows you to experience a bigger slice of heaven here in this life right now by living according to God's principles and by living according to his guidelines. But God's freedom and his love for you and his deliverance for you, it exists now. It's not dependent on your ability to keep these commandments. And, and that should get a big amen from all of us because none of us are good enough. None of us keep the commandments well enough. None of us can live up to that bar to the level that if it depended on our performance, we'd never get set free and we'd always be stuck. But God says, I want to unstick you now. And after that, I'll show you what real freedom looks like. And it looks like living according to these commandments. I think a third thing that I want to make sure that we touch base on where these commandments are concerned, and it's for all of them, is this. It's just to note how different they are from all of the other religious systems of that day and of that time. All of the other peoples, all of the other cultures, all of the other religious systems we're built upon this sense that there's a God out there and he wants something from you. And whatever religious structure in place, it's about what do, you, what do you have to do for that God, right? And there were gods for everything. There were gods for the weather, there were gods for the crops, there were gods for the kids and for all of everything, right? Every category of life had its own particular deity. And if you wanted to please that God, if you wanted, if you wanted good weather, if you wanted good crops, if you wanted healthy kids or whatever it may be, then there was something you had to do for that God. It, it, might, be, it might be an offering of money or a, or a sacrifice of crops. And some of the most... Uh, despicable religions, it involved a demonstration of your faith in that God that was so complete that they required you to take your living child and, and kill that child on the altar dedicated to this God. Because that God required something of you. And their religious rules said, if you want to be on God's good side, here's what it's going to take. Here's what you're supposed to do for God. Contrast that, if you will, with the nature of the Ten Commandments. The vast majority of them have nothing to do with how you interact with God. There's a couple that do. But eight of the ten are all about how you interact with people and how you treat others and the way that you um, behave towards those whom God has created. There's very little in the Ten Commandments are about what you do for God. They're, when you look at them, they're much more focused on your conduct and the way that you treat others and treating others well. In much the same way, like, as any parent could understand, right? We would say, if you, if you would like me to be pleased with you, treat my children well, right? 
Be fair to them. Protect them. Look after them. Admire them. If you do that with my kids, we're good almost no matter what else has taken place, right? It's as if that's God's heart towards all of creation. But God says, if you want to be on my good side, if you want to produce a good life together as a society, not just as an individual, but corporately, if you want to produce that good life, here's the thing. I need you to take care of my people. And by my people, he means anybody that he's created. And that, and that means people of all kinds, of all backgrounds, of all nationalities, of all genders, of all faiths, of all convictions, what all of us share in common is that God created us and God designed us and God wants us to treat all of one another well. That's a very different approach from the other rel religious systems that were there in the day. See, God's not so much interested in what he can get from you. God's very interested in how he can empower you to make a positive difference and a blessing in the lives of others. That's what these Ten Commandments produce. So we live them out, hopefully, not with a sense of burden, like the crushing music is going to destroy us if we, if we mess up, but we follow them out of, out of gratitude and out of grace and out of an embrace for what God wants to do, not just in us, but in a whole world by expanding His love. So with all of that background, we're going to talk now about the first commandment, and it's this. After having set that up, he says this, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And this is a little unique. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a, there's a difference in the, uh, in the Jewish tradition than there is in the Christian tradition, right? In the Jewish tradition, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall uh, not make any idols. Those are kind of meshed together into one commandment, okay? In the, in the Christian tradition, they tend to, we tend to break them apart differently, okay? So next week, Pastor Mike's going to talk. He'll talk about, auto, uh, about idols and making images of God and things like that. That's the second commandment. But this one is the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And this one, I will tell you, I remember as a kid being a little confused on this one. Because I always heard the word before, like there's before and after, right? So you, won't have, you can't have any other gods before me but it's probably okay if there's some after me. Like, as long as God is first place, it's okay that there's second, third, and fourth place. And that troubled me because it just didn't seem right. And you know what? As I grew up and I did some studying, I learned it wasn't right. Because that idea of no gods before me is more like before me in my presence on the playing field at all. Right? It's not, it's absolutely not that you can follow any other gods and worship any other things that you want as long as God is first place. No, the nature of this particular commandment is God is the only place. That he is the only one that you worship and he is so worthy of our worship that he displaces all other contenders. And the reason I think that this one is first is because God, having created us, understands what he knit into us, which is a sense of we are we're creatures. We've been created, and we are built to worship something. And we will always be questing and looking after that thing to worship. And God understands that if we, if we centralize that in the worship of Him, we'll have found what we're looking for. But if we don't solve and resolve that issue, that we worship God and God alone, 
then our hearts will always be questing after fulfillment somewhere else in places that can no, not possibly satisfy. In the search for riches and wealth and security and power and influence and convenience and pleasure and whatever it is that you want to add onto your list. We're worshipful creatures. We will always worship something. And if God's not that person whom we worship, we'll default to something else. And sometimes that something else will be ourselves. How often we just worship our own opinion, our own perspective, our own ideas, our own agenda, our own calendar, our own comfort. God says, before you fall into any of those things, you've got to resolve the issue that you will worship me and me alone. Once that's taken care of, the other nine get a lot easier. But this is the one that begins. We're created with an impulse to worship. God knows it, and he directs that and makes sure that we centralize that in our worship of him. Not just beyond all else, but to the exclusion of all else. This is going to be a super fun series. We're going we're to spend the next weeks talking about the other nine commandments, and we're going to love it. Honestly, I don't understand why that's funny. <laughs> it's going to be great. Why? Because it's not just a bar we have to live up to. It's because there are waypoints on the way towards the blessed life that God calls us to. And as we embrace these commandments, we're going to find ourselves stepping into a good life and living amongst ourselves and in our city and in our community a good life that draws others into God's love. And that's an exciting thing to be about. So I'm looking forward to the journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of your son, for everything he's done and our, our chance we had to celebrate that at the communion table. And God, thank you also for the gift of your law, your instructions for us. God, would you help us to encounter them for exactly what they are, a gift of your grace designed to lead us into those places that are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Scott. I'm looking forward to this series. I'm excited. Uh, one of the things that excites me about this is that we live these commandments out together as a community, that these weren't given just to us as individuals, but to all of us together collectively. So we're going we're gonna to learn how to do life together even better. So come back for next week. And uh, I'm going to have some things to say about idols, right? We don't do that in 20th, 21st century stuff, do we? We'll see next week. Hey, if, uh, if you're new, I would love to meet you. I'll be right over here underneath this monitor. Love to say hi and help you get better connected here. Otherwise, have a great day today.